0: the great stories resonate the great fictional stories resonate with something inside of us that says yes that's what i want they say art imitates life and of course that's true uh, real life is is uh, captured by comedians you know the best comedians are the ones that say stuff that you relate to, and you can laugh at them while you laugh at yourself for having experienced the same situations, the same issues that they have experienced. And the best stories are the ones that relate to our lives. But some stories relate not to the lives we are living, but to the life we imagine, the life that we long for. Those stories, Many of the fairy tales, many of the best uh, stories that have been made into movies are stories about somewhere else that is better and a quest to get to the better place. Or they are stories of a hero that comes in and rescues and takes the person who has been rescued to a better place. And theologians say, look at these stories. Look at how these stories point to the truest story of all, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came from another place, a far more glorious place, came to rescue us and to then take us there. And there's romance involved too, because the love of God is is what our hearts long for. So we hear stories about heroes and they resonate with us because we need a hero. We hear stories about romance and they resonate with us because we need to feel loved. And what John is talking about here in this section, he's talking about the fact that there is another world. There is another reality apart from this world. And that is why he says, do not love the world or anything in it. And like I said last week, we might say, well, John, you're the same guy who wrote the words of Jesus that said, for God so loved the world. God loves the world, why can't I love the world? And what he's saying, and you might look at the Greek to find, well, maybe the word for love is different, maybe the word for world is different. So I did, and they're the exact same words, cosmos for world and agape for love. So the problem is, is, a, is a problem of perspective. Of course, God loves the world. We see that because he gave his only son and we are to love the world too. I realized uh, at the end of uh, last week's sermon, when I pointed out uh, that I wasn't going to get to this, um, don't love the world, that I had just said a few sentences early earlier, love the world. So do we love the world or do we hate the world? Uh, the church is often very confused by this. There are um, elements within the church who really take seriously First John, the letter of 1 John's um, advice, to not love the world. So they separate away from the world. There was a, a man uh, in the 4th century who, for 35 years, lived on a little platform uh, 60 feet off the ground, by himself, separating from the world, and people would come and see him. Some may have admired him, and some may have laughed. But his approach is really quite extreme, and I do not believe that John was meaning to say, separate from the world. In fact, um, many people in, in our world today, many Christians are so anti-world, they are complaining about the world and complaining about the way the world is going and they set themselves up as judges over the world in, in such a way that they have disdain for the world. And there is room for disdain for many of the things that are happening in our world today, but when John says, in, when Jesus says, as recorded in John three sixteen, God so loved the world, we should never disdain what is happening in the world or the people that are impacted by what is happening. We can, yeah, we can dislike what's happening, but we cannot dislike the people who are causing it to happen or fail to love them because God loves them. We are to love them, but to see the world as God sees it. God so loved the world that he sent his son to redeem the world. So, as we see in in John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is what John is getting at here in his epistle too. That God loved the world and gave his son to save us from the world. So if we then go back to loving the world, which really, I think what he's saying is loving the things of this world over our love for God, then we are not living as God calls us to live. We are not living according to the other greater, better reality, which is the kingdom of God. John says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And it's an interesting trio of problems here. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And lust here is the word that I like to point out from the Greek, the word epithumia. Epi means over, and thumia means desire. So the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes are over-desires or misdirected desires. It is perfectly natural and wonderful for us to look out on a beautiful landscape and enjoy it, to use our eyes to see the beauty that God has created. It is okay for us to enjoy the pleasures of this life. The problem comes when those that enjoyment of the pleasures of this life supplant our love for God, erase our desire to serve God and to live in God's glorious kingdom. It's very interesting here, theologians point out, that in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is tempted, these words are used. She saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Good for food, the lust of the flesh, pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes, and good for attaining wisdom, the pride of life. She could have the wisdom that only God had previously had. It's also interesting, as theologians point out, that the temptations of Jesus also parallel this, uh, these three things. He was first tempted to turn stone into bread, the lusts of the flesh. Of course, he was hungry after 40 days of fasting, but the enemy directed him to look at the, the desires of his flesh and threatened to use those desires to thwart the purpose of his fasting. Then it goes on, um, and the enemy takes him to look at the splendor of the kingdom. that says, I can give these to you, the lust of the eyes. And finally, actually, secondly, I'm rearranging the order to fit the, the passage here in First John. But uh, the second thing uh, the enemy does is take him to a tower and says, jump off and the angels will come and rescue you. You will, you'll be noticed. They will think you're pretty great when people see this. The pride of life. All of these things, while having some good in them, when the desire becomes over-desire, turns to lust, turns to the need for, I must have this, they it, they rob us of what should be the place where we get all of our satisfaction, all of our hope, and that is in the other kingdom, the kingdom of God, not in this world. And I like both ends. You know, when you have um, a situation where people think, well, it's either this or this, and you can say, well, it's actually both. And that's uh, something that we have here where um, we have a both and here. We We are to not love the world and we are to love the world. We are not to love the world as the answer to the longings of our hearts, but we are to love the world as we look at the people in the world and see what they need, that they need to be connected to God and to God's eternal kingdom. And so we both not love and love the world. But there is another place here where you cannot both and it. You have to either or. Jesus said it this way in Matthew and in Luke. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This was in the context of money. So he says you cannot serve both God and money. John would say, you cannot serve both God and the world, this world. There's a Native American proverb that says, those who have one foot in the canoe and one foot in the boat will fall in the water. Very uncomfortable falling in the water, that would be. But many people today, many Christians today, think that we can have one foot in the canoe of this world and the other foot in the boat of the Kingdom of God, and think we're doing quite well with that. But there will come a day when God will call us to account, and we will either be in the boat or not, and one foot in there while the other foots in the canoe will not work. In fact, it, it won't last long in this life. A lot of times we think, well, I can, I can. Um, be in the world. I can. I get most of my desires met in the world, but that just have this place for God uh, as one of the things, one of the things that, that gives me satisfaction. God says, no, I won't be had that way. God knows who God is and God knows who you are. And God knows that the ultimate true desires of your heart are met only in him. you can stand in the kingdom of God and enjoy some of the things of this world. But you cannot stand in the world and truly enjoy the things of God. That's the dichotomy that John sets up here. So, we have remember last week we had some tests of the genuineness of our faith. Here we have some more tests of the genuineness of our faith. We have first the test of worldview: what is the world, and is there indeed another world, another reality that claims our allegiance over and above this world? And the second test is the test of God view worldview and God view. Another word for God view is orthodoxy, right thinking, right understanding, right correct belief. And what happened here uh, in verse 19 we read about people that went out from us they did not really belong to us because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And then the rest of this chapter, from verse 18 through verse 29, is about how important it is to believe correctly. We find the word anointing here in verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And then verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he taught you, remain in him. We have an anointing, which means that we have the Holy Spirit, a a, a real, genuine connection with God that reminds us of God's truth. And and this truth is not just a static thing, as we've talked about before, it is relational. So as we looked at, at James last week, a faith that doesn't do is dead. It's not real. It's not genuine. And here we see that If we have a true relationship with God, we will serve God. If we have a true relationship with God, we will believe the truth, God's truth. And then we are called to acknowledge the Son. The problem, as John points out, with those who left were that they were not believers in the first place. They acted like they fit in, but they didn't. And what was their problem? What did they get wrong? What they got wrong was they did not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Without that belief, we are not believing correctly. The Messiah is the unique individual that connects the world of God, the kingdom of God, this greater reality with this lesser reality, which is the earth, the the people on the earth, the the sphere of the earth, uh, our existence on the earth. Uh, Jesus Christ uniquely connects heaven, if you will, the kingdom of God with the earth. And in order to know God, we must acknowledge that he is indeed this Messiah. So we have our anointing, we have our acknowledging, and we also must be abiding. In the message, uh, verse 24 and 25 are rendered this way. Stay with what you heard from the beginning, the original message. Let it sink into your life if what you heard from the beginning lives deeply in you, you will live deeply in both the Son and Father. This is exactly what Christ promised, eternal life, real life. We must abide in uh, the NIV. It says, and now, dear children, continue in him. And that's the word that means, uh, is translated elsewhere, abide or walk or live. The idea is your lifestyle. Who you are, what you do, how you, uh, how you identify yourself, all of this is how we are supposed to relate to God with everything that we are, to see ourselves first and foremost as God's people, willing to serve God, willing to obey God, and the problem we have, one of the problems we have with this passage, one is it takes a lot of work to, to um, really pull it apart and understand what John is saying here, but the other part is a cultural problem, and that cultural problem comes at verse 22. <laughs> John says, who is the liar? What he's saying is someone's lying. Someone's not telling the truth. We say, wait a minute. In matters of faith... You know, it, it's not really about truth. Or for, I have my truth. You have your truth. If, if my truth works for me, it's cool. If your truth works for you, it's cool. <laughs> and our culture rails against this idea that there is a truth outside of what we believe. But Scripture says that there is indeed a truth outside of ourselves. We should expect that not everything we hear in the culture is truly true. And this is one of those places where the culture has it wrong. The culture is a liar. Now we say that's not fair because they don't really know. And maybe to a degree they don't. But what Paul wrote in Romans 1 is this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may might be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This is a hard word for us, for those of us who live in, um, in our culture but it's the word of God. There is truth and there is falsehood. There are lies. One lie is that this other realm doesn't exist or that it's not important. But the truth is that that realm is greater. That realm is greater than this realm. That realm is where our hearts should be anchored. Another lie is that however you want to get there is fine. But there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. There is a way to connect with God, and that way is Jesus Christ. And we might say, well, that's not really how we believe today. But does it really matter how we believe today if there is indeed this truth that exists outside of ourselves? and there will come a day when we answer for whether or not we believed what God has told us? Don't fall for the lies. Don't love this world as... If it is the answer to all your hopes and dreams, because there is a reality outside of us, the reality of the kingdom of God. And that is where the longings of your heart are truly, truly directed. The great stories the great stories of rescue, of another world, of another reality. This is not one of those stories. This is the story to which all of those stories point. The longing of your heart can be uniquely met through relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who connects you with the glorious kingdom of God.